Good. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast. We've got Gareth Sapstead on today. He's a writer and online coach, in-person coach. And uh, Gareth is doing some really, really cool stuff, especially with his Instagram. So we're going to talk lots more about that. Uh, I guess this is episode 122. I should point that out. So we're going to talk about, again, innovation on Instagram. What's too much, how to do it right, how not to be like a circus freak. We get into whether or not you should niche down or you should keep your appeal pretty broad to your audience. Um, Gareth's had a lot of success with his online training, so he talks about some of the principles behind doing that well. And then he talks about he was published early and some of the discussion around how that came to be and how his career progressed. So stay tuned. Hope you enjoy it. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today's guest is Gareth Sapstead. Uh, you might have heard of him as the fitness maverick on his social media. He's from the UK, you'll tell pretty quickly by the accent, or you might hear a hint of Aussie in there because he spent a year there recently, he's working on his online business. But he's back in the UK and uh, we've navigated the time difference because we're in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, so we've got him on here. We have, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought, but Gareth has a pretty extensive uh, fitness education. You got a master's degree in strength and conditioning science and a whole lot more, but I'll let you tell us a little bit more about you before we start bombing you with questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pleasure to be on here, guys, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, yeah, a little bit of background about me, really. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a strange one, really. I'm a, I'm a marketer's nightmare. I've been kind of everywhere. I've been, you know, I've been in mainstream gyms in private gyms i've had my own facility i've had my own private training studio i started out training people in their houses um, but then also my background really is in actually sports performance so when i was a lot younger um it was a case of me trying to almost build up that education so i could work with athletes and then actually over time as i was working with uh, mainstream clients, general pop clients at the same time, I actually decided that I didn't want to work with athletes and actually general population was what I enjoyed doing the most. So, you know, I got lots of look-ins with some, some really high level athletes and some, you know, I was at, uh, at some soccer clubs and some uh, rugby clubs, you know, head of kind of academy performance and things there. But at the same time, running my personal training business, that's actually what flourished and that's what I enjoyed doing the most really so that's that's a bit of a background about me but i'm sure we'll kind of go into different different kind of tangents off there anyway um, do uh do soccer players train uh begrudgingly yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was a more of a that was a soccer joke i don't know how yeah you know it, it's one of those things i when i was you know probably i mean i was about 20 years old i got a look at a, a championship so kind of like a, a tier two club yeah. i think and it was run, or the manager at the time was Italian. And um, their mentality is very much to get better at football, you just play football, and that's it. Uh, so here's me coming in, doing the S&C work, trying to make them lift weights, etc. And you've got the manager thinking that that stuff's going to get them slower, you know, it's going to get them, um, you know, slower on the pitch, it's going to get them less sharp, etc. So you're quite happy with that. With the manager, and obviously, whatever the manager says goes. So, my role there just ended up being keeping the athletes on the pitch and, and not injuring them, really. So, environment does make things hard. Whereas, rugby, that's the other way around. You can smash them as much as you like, really, and um, kind of take it. 
is is that is that part of the reason why you made the switch just because like you can kind of control your own destiny i guess so to speak yeah so i'm i'm very much a kind of i suppose a, a bit of a solopreneur um i hate that kind of that term really but <laughs> everything i do is on me you know i have in the past employed other trainers i've employed people to do things for me but i i like to have that massive control over things and as well with my clients it's a good thing and a bad thing i like to have that massive control over them as well so that does benefit me as far as especially an online business goes nowadays um and it and it just shows to them that, that i care that i'm keeping that kind of close contact with them and things like that um, but yeah, I am a bit of a control freak. You can, you can ask my girlfriend that. <laughs> yeah. You heard us laughing, both laughed at the same time when you said solopreneur. Yeah. We actually made fun of that particular word on an episode with our friend, Mike Howard. Now he's a nutrition based guy. He goes by the name too. He's like, I, this is what it is, but I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Same exact response. <laughs> you might have heard of him. Uh, he goes by Lean Minded on his social media, and he just does uh, was flashing a book around. They wrote. He's a really awesome dude. So of course, what do we do? We always have some sort of funny title and slap someone's face on uh, on a graphic of some uh, movie or whatever. So we called his Solopreneur, and we put him on Han Solo from Star Wars. So he he loved that. Well, you can't use that for me now, which is no. Yeah. no. <laughs> we'll we'll find something appropriate for you probably i don't know with the accent we might find something from uh, snatch or lock stock and two smoking barrels or something of that nature we'll see that, yeah <laughs> we'll figure it out peaky blinders or something i don't know that would actually be good too <laughs> that would probably work if that's like <laughs> of course like everyone's gonna be like yeah you get the guy with the accent and do the british thing but like you have to like we'll figure it out so uh, let's actually jump into something that I found kind of fun because what I noticed with your social media is there, you and a few other people, I think of someone like Lee Boyce is a good example of this. There are definitely others who blend a lot of really practical sound training philosophy with sometimes novel interpretations that can be innovative, but still walking that line between not doing like circus shit. So and I'm reminded, uh, our friend Chad Landers, he recently posted a quote. He said, I'm all for variety and novel stimuli with exercise selection, but what I see on social media often looks more like parlor tricks and gym, gym shenanigans than safe sound training. So two-part question is, what, what do you think of that idea in the first place? And how do you kind of navigate that fine line between here are some innovative ideas, but yet they're still actionable and they're not stupid? Yeah, good question. And yeah, I, I do 100% agree with Chad there. Um, it's a really good question and it is definitely a fine line. So everything that I kind of create, especially on, on Instagram, maybe we can go into Instagram specifically in a while. Yes. Because, you know, you're only getting a, a minor kind of view of that person. You're, you're only seeing the tree. You're not seeing the whole forest in a way on Instagram. And that's, that's probably the downside to that. But everything I'm sharing on Instagram and, you know, is creative. It's actually a, a solution that I've provided to someone. Um, you know, I've, I've probably got, I don't know, roughly... 15, 17,000 hours of, of working with clients one-to-one. -one. And, you know, we mentioned that my, my business is mostly online now. And even in the, in the past few years, I do still work with one-to-one -one people. But 
before I transitioned online, I was, you know, as I said, 15 odd thousand hours working with people once one. And that's the, the general population. And you see a shitload of problems. You see, uh, you see exercises that they can't do. You see uh, shoulder issues, knee issues, back issues, whatever. You, you name it and, and they've got it. So, you know, the common problem I see with trainers especially is you're trying to fit an exercise to a client. You know, I'll give you a prime example. Deadlift is a great exercise, but you know, you you guys and I both know that deadlift isn't suitable for everyone. And don't get me wrong, I'll give you an example. I had a um, client first thing this morning at 7 a.m. and she basically, you, you can't get any um, kind of meat and veg as, as this. It was literally, it was a trap bar deadlift, it was a dumbbell press, and it was an eccentric pull-up. And a, and a and a loaded carry you know you can't get more kind of meat and potatoes as that but because of the type of client that she is the trap bar deadlift was was two inches off the floor because that fitted her structure a little bit better the dumbbell press was on a slight decline with a neutral grip position because she's got slightly cranky shoulders and that's a, a nicer position for her the eccentric pull-up was because she can't do a normal pull-up yet and for me eccentrics are a great way to build up that pull-up strength and the loaded carry was with a band around her hip because basically I don't have the space where I'm training her to be able to do a, a 30 yard loaded carry with her. Now out of that workout, for example, I might have filmed her do the loaded carry with a band around her waist or something with a, you know, holding a dead ball up to her chest. And that's all that people see on Instagram. So, you know, to, to me, that's a solution to a, to a problem that, that's been created. And, and that's an exercise that's fitted her really well. Um, but obviously for, for the purpose of Instagram, it's a great share because it's a tool for someone. It's a tool that someone else might be able to use. And that's my idea. When I share something on Instagram, it's here's what it is. Here's what might be good. Here's who it might fit. You know, and that's up to you whether you use it on. So I suppose that's the problem really in that, as I said, Instagram is, it's the trees. It's not the forest. And, you know. Well, and one thing too is like, when people like, like you're explaining why you do things and it's, 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 I don't even want to say authorities, but like there's this negative connotation that trainers <laughs> are responsible for like educating people on what their Instagram is and what it's used for. And like, at what point can you just like do whatever the fuck you want? Like, it's not, it's not that it's not your problem, but like you're doing stuff that you want to do creatively and people are saying like, that's novel and, why are you doing it this way? It's like, listen, it, like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like everyone has to defend themselves for the stuff they do. That's it. I think look, I, I really early on in my career and I can't remember who, who said it or it might've been something that I read and it basically just said, you must be able to justify. And, and that has carried with me throughout my entire career. You must be able to justify every single exercise that you give to your client, whether they ask, whether you ask in your own head, whether someone else asks, you know, imagine, the best coach in the world or someone you really look up to watching every single training session that you're doing with a client and then you having to justify everything you're doing to them. And that's how I think every trainer should approach everything. Um, I think it's just unfortunate the way Instagram is and, and Facebook to an extent that, you know, what I am sharing is getting, is getting more views because it's creative, but really what I'm sharing is just a tool to have in your toolbox whether you use it or not, you know, that's, that's up to you really. And, and I think as, as, as you were mentioning, Andrew, the, um, the single leg hip thrust with yep. your landline, that and the, um, 
that and the donkey kick with the landmine, that's something that, that's become really, really popular recently, you know, because Brett Contreras has shared it. He's yep. tapped me into it. He's given me credit. You know, absolutely love the guy. So a pleasure for him to share that. And a lot of people are doing it. And those actually came out of solutions to a, to a problem that I had. And especially with the, uh, with the donkey kick, you know, how do you efficiently load a donkey kick? You know, it's one of those things. And I just mucked about one day. It worked. It felt good. Tried it with a few clients that, you know, I know are uh, open to ideas. Tried it with them. You know, and, and I think Brett in the last few weeks has added, to, added it to his uh, top exercises of the year or something within his, um, within his glute camp. So, you know, it's a little bit of validation there, which is great. Well, and the cool thing is, so like that thought process, I think for like, I'm not going to say new trainers coming up, but when people look at Instagram, they're looking at, oh, this is a good idea. And like, I'm going to just do it. And like, they don't even understand why that setup is like, you know what I mean? There's no understanding of some of these things like, yeah, they're novel, but their solution based on these contexts. And I think like that whole thought process is, is lost on a lot of new people. They just see something that they do it as opposed to be like, why did he do this? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that just goes right over people's heads sometimes. A few thoughts that I want to throw in here too. Uh, first of all, usually we always wait till the end to tell people, Hey, go you know, find someone on social media. But if you're not driving and listening to this, I actually would say just quickly pause it and go look up Gareth's Instagram. It's the fitness maverick on Instagram. And you're going to get an idea of what we're talking about here. So I think a lot of people that we interview, they have good social media stuff. In fact, a lot have great stuff, but I think you may actually be one of the people who most effectively uses Instagram to showcase this kind of stuff. And I actually want people to kind of sort of get a sampling of it just so they can appreciate what we're talking about. I think that there are people who, there, I have friends who on Instagram do circus shit and I love them, but it's hard for people to tell. I think it's really important if you understand the background of a trainer as being someone who is skilled and 99% of what they're doing with clients is a lot more grounded, a lot more fundamental. And then they're wandering into pushing the boundaries of, yeah, okay, performance a little bit on their social media, then okay, it, you gotta be able to differentiate between the people who are really really just circus performers for attention and the people who really do have the fundamentals down. And I think a really good example of that would probably be our friend Megan Calloway, who, Megan does all kinds of really, really like extreme, intense, challenging shit. Because I think she's trying to push the boundaries of what she can do and she's being experimental. But at the same time, she's showing it herself. And I'll bet you any money that Megan, when she's working with her clients, she's not doing this kind of stuff with her clients. So realizing that is, is pretty important for anybody who's following this stuff. Definitely. I, you know, I hate to kind of throw names out there, but Joel Seedman. Joel Seedman. <laughs> yeah. I think, to be honest, I think he's too smart for his own good. <laughs> because what he's sharing, he can justify just about everything that he's given to a client. And I think that's a positive and a negative for him because I think just by looks at he does get a lot of backlash for that. And you know, talking about um, talking about muscle fascia and the, I don't know, the posterior superior line and things like this that people don't even know about. I think there's probably one book, Anatomy Trains, that if you've read that, um, that's pretty much the information you're going to get on that subject. But um, he's someone that massively pushes the boundaries. But probably like me, he might just be that might just be the assistance work. You know, that might not be the stuff he's given to every single client. That might yeah, be no, something. I, like, I, like, I don't even know what Joel Seaman does in a training session. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, he can't be doing all the stuff he's doing. 
<laughs> like if you just looked at his shit, it's like he's doing stuff on three three limbs with bands pulling everything and chains around neck for everything and like there's and maybe he does do that like maybe that's literally everything he does but he's also working with some extraordinarily but, high level athletes imagine, he have the meadows brothers from tampa bay rays and baseball and i know he's got a whole shit ton of people my thoughts on joel kind of align with yours uh gareth where i think he sometimes almost seems like he's too smart for his own good and one thing i know I, I strongly believe, and somebody else said this as well, I can't remember who, is Joel is very, very good at and comfortable with like sort of pushing people's buttons and almost antagonizing people within our industry with this really progressive stuff because he's good at building an audience and it will attract a certain type of person. But I think also it's important to remember, and we've said this a couple times already here, but this guy is probably a master of the fundamentals to the point where he can apply them in really, really extreme ways. I agree, yeah. Well, and everyone else is too stupid to use this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and like, for, for real though, like, like if yeah. you don't understand any of that stuff, like, that's a, he's basically, and we used this last time, but like, he's giving dynamite to a bunch of kids. Like, can you imagine <laughs> like, when you first started training as like 16, 15 years old, and you go do a, one of his exercises? Like, that's not going to help anything. You, <laughs> But, and it'd be really hard to set up. So it's just like, holy. Like an online subscription app, I think. I think that's his, his kind of his bread and butter for, for online, some kind of app. And I could just imagine people downloading it for $6.99 a month and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know what? The thing is with him too, it's like, and, and this is a good for this conversation because like this goes in that novel territory <laughs> is that as much as he's crazy, his stuff doesn't actually bleed into the general population like a lot of the other stuff does. Like it, we use glute training with, I think, Lizzie Ostro and like how every machine now is a glute machine. Like, but those are all novel stuff on a lot of people's Instagram accounts, how they use everything for a fucking glute machine. That's made the mainstream. Joel Seaman's shit couldn't even, like you can't even do half of this stuff in a gym. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like, is but then that whole, there's that whole conversation is like, like, maybe maybe all this novel stuff is just like better for the industry as a whole because now there's people that are doing stuff that they normally wouldn't do because they thought it was cool on instagram which is like that whole thing that doesn't get talked about because people just get made fun of especially another professionals point. like us like we'll go on and we'll just trash the whole fucking thing but like there is a net positive in a lot of this stuff here's another point to all this stuff too i mean how long ago was it that, you know, a barbell hip thrust was a novel idea? You know, we've talked to Brett yeah. Contreras on the podcast about, you know, his origins of that stuff. We actually didn't talk very much about glutes, but, you know, I'm, I'm reading Glute Lab, his book, and, you know, it talks about the, the guy pretty much popularized it. And I think 20 years ago in a commercial gym, if somebody was humping a barbell uh, off a bench, people would look at them like, what the fuck are you doing? Whereas now it's very bizarre not to see it at least once in a commercial gym probably anywhere, certainly in North America and probably most of the world. So it took a while for that to, and a lot of the other glute things that he has been at the forefront of popularizing. And those things, now you look over and you see some girl with a band around her knees doing something. You're like, okay, cool. That's normal. Where once upon a time, that, that stuff probably would have been considered really strange. Definitely. Now, I'm not sure that Joel Siemens, all of Joel's stuff will 10 years from now be the norm in commercial gyms, but I think a few things will catch on. No, but here's another thought. What happens if you downloaded Joel's app, you logged into it, and it was just bench squat deadlift row? 
I don't have his app, but like it probably is that. Like, the, yeah, can you imagine his coaching cues? Like, and this is where the, some of these novel things get fucked up. Can you imagine like actually the coaching cues involved in some of these stuff if you don't even have a relationship or like a foundation with your clients? Like, because yeah. like you have to translate all this information to this novel thing, and it's like it's fucking I don't know, it's tough. I'll come back with one sort of point, and especially if you get fairly new trainers who are listening to this, or there are people who are trying to master, you know, their, their business and be successful. I still think you're going to do best with the fundamentals of everything, and I wouldn't go out of your way to try to employ creativity when a simple solution will work. But it's like, and I think Gareth, you're probably the best example here, given you know your answer to this stuff. I think you would be a really good resource to follow and learn. You know, practical solutions to common problems yeah. and if it changes the way trainers think to get them outside of that that box of everything has to be like traditionally and this is the only way to do it then at least it'll challenge them to, to broaden their thinking definitely I, I definitely think trainers need to be more adaptable yeah. you know um, need to be a little bit more creative as, as far as their clients go sometimes you know as i said trying to trying to get everyone to bench squat deadlift etc with a barbell isn't just isn't going to work and the more and more people you see the more and more you realize that and it, it could be as simple as you know putting a wedge up under something or reducing some range of motion in something it can be that simple but you know as trainers need to have the tools and the the background the knowledge the experience to be able to what well, and the experience in the tools because like like you said learning what a wedge does and doesn't do or like a rotation of an arm does or doesn't do is like pretty much trial and error and like yeah. you'll start to like trust your opinion on some of those things but you can't do it if you don't try it so if you just stick to the basics at some point you are you're confined to a box of what you can do which isn't transferable if you step out anywhere outside of your little circle or your gym or whatever, your equipment set. Like you can't even go online because what if someone doesn't have the same equipment as you? You don't even know what the fuck all this other stuff does. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, let's talk about butt stuff. Um, <laughs> we, we like using that one. Um, but you, <laughs> you're insta I, think you're, I think it's like your tagline is like usually, usually we make fun of people who are like, I help entrepreneurs fitness entrepreneurs make six figures. Yours is mostly butt and bicep stuff, to be honest. <laughs> so that, that's his Instagram bio, but this speaks to understanding marketing and attracting and speaking to a broader audience. So would you kind of share your thoughts on creating an accessible and popular brand while avoiding a lot of the, the murkier Instagram influencer behavior and like for anyone who like doesn't know what that is like you can pretty much listen to any fucking episode <laughs> we, we always seem to come back to making fun of that because it's easy but like you're not doing well you're kind of doing it but you're doing it cool <laughs> uh, look, as, as i said at the beginning i'm i'm probably a, I'm a marketer's nightmare you know <laughs> if if you spoke to let's say you follow the you, you know you follow the ptdc and, and, and john goodman things like that but for years, you'd know that you need to find your ideal avatar, your ideal client, and market everything at them, and talk to them, talk how they do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm someone that, you know, I said I've trained a variety of people, and I enjoy training a variety of people, and I enjoy sharing a variety of things as well. So I don't actually have a niche. I don't really have a, a, a market. If, if anything, my market is getting people to, to, to look good, to perform better, to get stronger, over a longer period of time, i.e. they can maintain that for a long period of time. 
I'm not a physique coach, prep coach that's trying to get someone ready in 12 weeks and shredded and then in six months' time they're falling apart. I'm not that person. You know, but if you still want to be training when you're 35, 40, 50, et cetera, you know, that's kind of in a way my market. But, um, you know, I'm not down to a man who's 25 years old, who has two kids, who has, you know, I don't know, whatever. You know, it's and that's one of those things, really. I think, as I said, I'm a marketer's nightmare. Um, but me it's just about being me and i think as far as my marketing goes there's no there's no background in marketing whatsoever it's all kind of self-taught stuff as soon as you come out of uni master's degree etc you teach people um it's one of those things where you might be great on theory you might be great on paper but your marketing skills are crap i just accepted that my marketing skills were crap and just went with it and just was me and i think people aren't stupid nowadays i think if you start employing this MLM marketing, if you start trying to be fake, you start trying to perceive yourself as being this character um, that you're not in real life, people can see through it. You know, you've got to remember that people, people buy coaches, they don't buy coaching, you know, they're more likely to work with me as their coach because, I don't know, because I've got a, a French bulldog called Aussie that's cute rather than say that I've got a master's degree. They're more likely to resonate with something like that. Than, uh, than the fact I have a, a certain level of education or experience. Well, it's I, well, let me get in here, buddy. Let me get in here because, like, and that that was glorious. Um, and it's it's sort of like a faux pas to turn around and sort of make this quote about me. But ironically, I also have a cat named Ozzy. I know. Who's <laughs> on my Instagram a lot. So there's that nice quizzes. But I just wanted to say that like everything you just described. I also feel like you're describing the way that I've gone about things for a while, focus on the long term. I definitely don't do the prep coaching stuff. And my social media is all over the place with fuck T Nation articles. Like you're you're ready for T Nation as well. I feel like we're the same person. You're just like my British and, and by the way, guys, they go look him up. He's a lot better looking than we are. So uh, the girls will like this stuff too. And that British accent. So I, I got a feeling you're gonna get a few new female followers. But we're talking about uh, the fitness conference that we put on every September here now in Edmonton or writing articles. And a lot of the stuff I write, despite the fact that my clientele is, I don't do any fucking business coaching, but I write a lot of, you know, trainers here, be successful because you should do this or stuff. And that's not the way, like you said, that we're told we're supposed to do it. What I really want to come to agree with is I really don't believe in niching down, especially early in your career. I think some people can do it really well, but I think that for the emerging trainer, broad to a point is really good. I think having depth of certain skills is wise, but I like the idea of uh, you know being fairly broad in your array of skills. It's kind of like I don't know. Have you read the book Range by uh, Epstein? Not that not the guy who hung himself and and uh, was linking up with all these billionaires and politicians and. It's a different Epstein, <laughs> but and he's, he's a really good writer. Actually, he, he has great, great ideas, an overrated writer. I think he's got wonderful ideas. But the book Range talks about more about of overall skills versus this, this mantra that you have to have, you know, very narrow focus from very early on in age. He's probably talking about it. It certainly applies to athletes, but, yeah. uh, and he, I think he uses the example of like Tiger Woods specializing at like two years of age in golf versus Roger Federer, who, you know, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, who dabbled in a lot of different sports and then started to really get serious about uh, tennis and his teams. So I think you could apply the same sort of lesson to being a trainer. And, and I like 
the idea of letting people see a diverse array of you versus trying to niche down so hard that you're missing general population. Like I think the general population is the best place to be a busy, successful trainer and to learn a lot. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, as I said, my background is with, uh, with, with performance, with, especially with youth, youth performance and working with academies and, and just working with what we call over here, the long-term athlete development model, LT, LTAD. And, um, and part of that is actually discouraging from early specializations. So making sure that kids have a, a variety of sports, you know, they're involved in some kind of, let's say, a gymnastic sport, an individual sport and a team sport. And at some point, they all end up complement each other as they later in life specialize in one area or one of those sports. So I think the same here could be applied to, to fitness and, and not niching down too early on something and just building up, that's a building up your tool set with a variety of clients and just kind of working out what area you, you want to be in. And I think by the time you get to the area as well, you're not, you're not as fake either. You know, you don't need to force the marketing or anything like that. You just, you just, you really, and you speak as the audience that you know, know the most about. Which is like another, we've talked about that um, in some form or fashion, this whole idea of, of like what a niche is and like, should you niche? And like, cause like the biggest, not the biggest, but there's a lot of info out there. Like, especially like when you go into online training, training, um, it's like, you gotta find your niche. You gotta do this, 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 and this. It's like, you don't even have the right to have a niche. It's interesting <laughs> that you, you have the ability to like, you have a skill set where you could niche down. You're like, I just like working with people. Like that's a normal answer for a lot of people that get into fitness. It's like, you're not, most people aren't nicheable. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. Like my, my average week, as I said, most of my, what pays the bills is my online business nowadays, but I love the one-to-one -one stuff. I still do between 15 and 20 one-to-one -one sessions a week. I've got a home garage, home gym setup nowadays that I do everything from because it's easy for me. Um, and it doesn't kind of eat into my time with, with, with what pays the bills really. But during the week I see, you know, I'm working with a really high level, um, GB triathlete. I'm working with CEOs of multi-million dollar businesses, you know, and, and young kids, you know, so I'm seeing a variety of people and it means that my week's interesting as well. And it keeps my skill set fresh as I'm, I'm trying different things out with different people and, and, and they're developing in different ways as well. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I think the biggest message too, is that like, it's okay not to niche. Hmm. 100%. You know, and that, that might get lost a lot of the times because there is a lot of conflicting information about like, like what you need to do in your career to like reach these places. And I think it's a good message that like, you're still doing the stuff that got you to where you're at yeah. like, and you like it. Like, and that's, that's totally okay. And not usually the general information that's given out in terms of progression in this career, which could be just doing the thing that you wanted to do. And you don't need to do these things that <laughs> X, Y, and Z did. That's Dean, you, you oh, got to go enjoy your first job at the end of the day, haven't you? So, yeah, Dean, um, and for the audience, we I usually write these up and kind of structure questions. We usually go all over the place, but um, we were just talking about being in the online space. And, and Dean, I'll get you to ask the question that sort of is uh, applies to you, and we'll skip over mine and come back to it. Okay, so you're predominantly in the online space, I guess, much like myself. I've kind of made that transition into nutrition pretty much, but after the industry seemed to push towards online a few years ago, and like we've talked about this before, um, many coaches have needed to go back to actually doing in-person training. So 
your opinion is pretty sweet on this because you're doing both. What are the most important aspects of sustaining or sustainable success online in the fitness industry, like right now as we see it? Uh, I think number one is get the experience in person first. You know, as I said, you know, I've had years and years and years before before actually going into the online space, and I was probably a pretty late adopter. You know, I came into the online space where you had a lot of people marketing for for online training being a thing and you know online trainer coaches um you know six figures etc etc so i came in pretty late and i started uh, probably about a year and a half ago now uh, but as i said i had a background where i had you know 15,000 hours work with people one-to-one and had that experience and sometimes when you get an online client um it's one of those things where um i don't know you get some you get someone apply and just from experience of working with people actually in person, you get a really good understanding of that person that's applied online without ever even meeting them, just with a few with a few notes that they've made on a consultation form. So within a few minutes, you know what they're going to be like. You know what kind of the, um, you know, a, a, from a broad perspective, an exercise selection might look like for them. You know if they're going to stick at it and you know if it's right for them. So first of all, I'd say you need to be really, really good at um distinguishing from the people that are going to stick with you long term and the people that online coaching just isn't for to start off with um, a lot of my clients I'm, I'm super lucky when i first started online coaching a lot of those people are actually still with me to date so my retention is massively high and that's because i do focus on just give 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 i give people a lot of value for their for their money really um, and i do spend a lot of a lot of time on those people whereas you know, as you said, I went to lived in Australia for a year, and the reason I moved to Australia actually was to focus on the online stuff. At that point, I was probably hitting forty up to fifty one-to-one sessions every single week. At that point, and I almost needed that cut off of moving, you know, flying ten thousand miles away to stop training people one-to-one to force me to spend time on my online business and actually do courses, et cetera, to learn how to, to do online coaching and, and, and work with people um, and what systems work. And you know, when I moved out to Australia, I, I did a few different online courses, uh, worked with a few uh, coaching trainers that showed you how to do online coaching. And I'll be honest, to this day, I probably use 5% of the information that was actually given to me. Um, and actually for one of them, I think I'm currently an advert that I'm a so-called six figure online coach because of their help. <laughs> I won't mention any names. <laughs> I did a, I did a testimonial video for them and it was actually edited that they had made me into a six figure online coach, um, all by themselves because their systems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you know, for anyone that's looking into these online coaching platforms, how to be an online coach, I would massively vet them. And, you know, I did massively vet them myself, myself, sorry. Um, but even then, you know, you, you're not, you've got to find your own way, really. You've got to find your own way to do things. And, you know, it all goes back down to just giving a shit ton of value for people's money. You know, they've, they've got to perceive you as being worth their, you know, worth their effort and worth their, what, you know, worth worth the money that they're paying for you. You know, that's their hard-earned cash that they might be forking out two hundred dollars a month for you for. So you've got to massively give them give them a return on that. Really, um, well, I said for me, it's about retention, and I'm someone that gets a lot of people through. Say, 
don't know, a husband's training with me and then, and then the wife starts because the husband's kind of given me the nod, you know, said to the wife, look, he's, he's really good. This is what he's done. This is how his training looks. You know, it comes through on an app and this is what it looks like, blah, blah, blah. And then I end up getting the other half as well. And that's kind of my, my marketing approach, really. Just giving a shit ton of value for, for people's money. Well, and that's another thing, too. Like, I'm not going to say I know everything those they fucking preach. But a lot of it comes to, like, attracting people based on what you could offer. And, like, the yeah. offer has to be good. And they got to know that there's value. But at the end of the day, even if they, they do sign up with you, you have to actually deliver that value. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll have no retention. And so, like... It's, it's almost like everyone's focusing on like building what the thing should look like, but they don't even have the capacity or ability to do the things that they're saying they're going to do. And I think like if you're, if you're looking at jumping in the online space, like, and you're looking at all the flashy stuff first, you've missed the mark on a sustainable business. Like there's no fucking way it's going to work. And like, that's probably why it's so saturated because there's like a graveyard of fucking online trainers and online trainer, trainer coaches because yeah. they all suck shit at the actual ability to do the thing they say they're going to do. That's which is it. like missed. Yeah. I, th I think online coaches or, or trainers that are wanting to be online coaches don't realize as well that, you know, this dream of, I suppose, living on a beach and, and, and being on your computer, working from there, etc. You're trading in a social job where you're chatting to people all day, working yeah. with people hands-on for, in effect, an IT job. <laughs> you know? and that's why you get a shit ton of pts that are you know trainers that stop the online stuff because they actually miss the one-to-one -one stuff well and i can i can like that's my last years like i'm still trading one-on-one -on -one and i have a group class but like this is the first year where for, and it's, it's cold here in canada there's no sun and it's minus 40 um but it's the first time i felt isolated so that social aspect was something that I didn't even notice because I always had it until I didn't. And I had to create solutions to fix that. Cause like, I was like, what the fuck's going on? Like, not that I'm like sad, but I'm like, I feel like off. And part of that was because I had this like dream online job that like, yeah, you're sitting in the beach, but like really I'm sitting in my fucking house in Canada, it's minus 40 and I'm not talking to people like in person. And like that does weigh on people. And I don't think that that even gets talked about much because the attractive nature of online is you can do all those things, but like, that's usually not what the fuck's happening. So it, it, I'm glad you pointed it out because even if you are on a beach, you're fucking sitting in Starbucks on your computer and like, you're not doing anything fun. Like it's fun sort of, but it's not that fun. Like it, it just gives you the ability to do more stuff, but the, the IT job is not sexy. That's it. That's it. You know, and I'm, I'm sorry, I do have a decent size, um, online clientele and, and the reality is I'm on my phone most of the day you know in the evening when I should be sat down watching Peaky Blinders or whatever I'm replying, I'm replying to online coaching clients because they've asked I don't know whether they should log down uh, the total weight of the barbell and the plates on the outside or just the plates on the outside you know I get questions like that all the time and that's the stuff that you've got to be prepared to respond to yeah, it, and like that's like not that it sucks, but like that is the job description a lot of the times. And like when you talk about online coaching, it's like, what does it actually entail? I don't even know if these programs like kind of prepare people for that part of the world or that part of the, I guess, job description, because that does require different skills. Like it requires patience, patience with yourself, patience with other people. It requires like time and like you're giving up what you're giving up is your time 
and your freedom a lot of the times. Like you're, you're handcuffed to this thing, which is like totally fine. It gives you the ability to do other things, but you have to understand what that is and what it looks like. And it's not usually what people think. It literally becomes part of your life. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like you can't watch Peaky Blinders at night because like even with I have people with time differences, like not that I, like I usually have cutoffs, but like sometimes people will text me at like 11 o'clock my time and it's fucking whatever if they're on different side of the world. And it's yeah. like, well, you still gotta like fuck. <laughs> Got to pause my show now. I just think that the the promise a lot. You know, you're talking about these people who are teaching yeah. these systems, and and I've always sort of made this point to differentiate. There are a handful of good people out there. You mentioned the PTDC and John Goodman, and you know his online trainer academy certification, and and I've done that, and I think there's a ton of value in there. If someone wants to learn that, I think it's a pretty in depth way to learn a lot of fundamental ideas behind it, but be prepared for the reality of online coaching. Like you both just described it is. And I think it's important to answer those routine and seemingly overly simple questions with enthusiasm and patience with those people, because it's still something that they don't know. It's still something, despite the fact that we take for granted how, how like silly that might seem or how fundamental it might seem. It's still something they're not sure about. And, and you train empathy. enough people. Yeah. And tons of empathy for these people. So, you got to go above and beyond. And a lot of the, the allure of this life online, I don't think is the reality. And I, I think you guys are right. I think a lot of coaches are realizing it's way harder than the promise is. And when people are promising this, you got to also wonder like, what are they getting out of it? And if they're selling you their system, then mm, maybe be a little bit cautious. about that. Well, and I would say like, like we're, we're three males. Like, I don't know. Andrew's in his fifties. I feel like Garrett's we're, we're 41 fuck off <laughs> yeah. 32 so anyways like like I wasn't mature enough to have empathy in those kind of situations until like last year <laughs> you know what I mean and like I, I think like that it, that skill you're talking about is yeah. like not something that comes without the experience of like growing up life experiences and then like actually training because like you don't even understand the impact of that question and your answer to that person if unless you have some sort of life experience so i mean like some people just suck at online coaches just from the simple fact they don't have the experience we're all talking about yeah that's it you know we, we were talking about marketing earlier and and, and make sure you've got clients i suppose that, that connect with you through um, through having the same belief systems, same thought systems, etc., it's exactly the same with online coaching as it is in person. You're not gonna, you know, a client isn't gonna train with you if you have absolutely nothing to talk about and your sessions are completely dry. And between sets, it's just a quiet, you know, it's just two minutes silence. It's exactly the same with with online coaching. That you know, I have a little bit of banter with my clients by message or, or by video or whatever. You've got to have that that common ground with it, and and so that's part of the, the retention process as well. And I suppose those people are uh, weaned out at the start in a way that you're getting people that already kind of know, like, trust you. So therefore, when you're training them, you've got that good retention because they already know what to expect off of you and and your personality type. I suppose. I guess. Let's. Yeah. Oh, you go ahead first. No, I was just going to say like. I'm just thinking of like some actionable because like you, you mentioned retention and I think we, I think it maybe it was Savon that talked about retention, but like, what's your like go to for like, like why do people stay with you? Like and what can, like, I guess maybe someone who's looking to be you or be something like what you're doing, what can they learn from it? Um, I, I suppose in the last year and a half, I've kind of worked hard in putting systems in place that mean that 
I can save time, but also give other people a lot of value at the same time. So I have you know, weekly emails that just my clients get. So I, I have a weekly email newsletter, et cetera, that I suppose you know, general population get, but then my one-to-one -one clients, my online clients get their own individual emails. And that might even just be a, a summary of the articles I've written that, that week. Um, I create PDFs, etc. I throw recipes at them. I make um, PDFs and, and mini eBooks of, of a recipe I've done that that week. Just little things like that. And I just throw loads of stuff their way. If they use it, they use it. They don't, they don't. Um, the big, the biggest game changer for me is when I went into um, riding online coaching via an app. You know, I don't know what you guys use. I use Trainerize. Um, I just. For me and for my clients, I find it the most efficient. Um, they've done a few updates recently, which means um, clients can actually send me videos of their form checks and things, which previously before they couldn't do. So just things like that, and just clients knowing that they can chat to me anytime, they can ping videos across to me, they can, you know, I'm tracking their diet, their nutrition, I'm tracking the weight they've lifted, etc. And I think just knowing that I'm doing that the whole time. Um, just gives them kind of that that peace of mind as well. I use True Coach, and yeah, True Coach is a platform that allows the them to video things and upload pretty easily. It's probably why Trainerize got on it so recently. Probably. <laughs> and I, I just find I, I've never used Trainerize. I've heard good things. I've had a great experience with True Coach because uh, our friend Sam Hogue, he's uh, VP of that, and so Sam and I had a chat about it, <clears throat> and he sold me on it for sure because I was dabbling in spreadsheets. And, and that's stuff okay. I found that very inefficient and clumsy and time consuming for me because as anyone who's listened to this for long enough knows that I'm usually the butt of jokes about not being very tech savvy. Dean does all of the recording and setup and you name it, right? I so, that was iPad. Like, a, like a common joke that I, and maybe not in here, but like in, in my personal life is like, I fucking hate old people in their iPads. Like, and they use it for cameras. So like Andrew's using it for a fucking camera, which is just like, at my wedding, like side note, yeah. I had a bunch of old people there, but I was in Jamaica and they all had like, literally I'm like, we're saying our vows and stuff. Well, there wasn't any vows, but we we're like doing the wedding thing. And there's like 20 iPads with their like stupid fucking cases. <laughs> I don't even know what, what am I, I don't even know what I'm getting at here. He's just making fun Oh of yeah, me. you're going to not tech savvy. tech savvy. So let's actually, let's go over to something else because, uh, Gareth, when we were talking before this, you had a couple of things that you thought would be cool, and, and I agree. Um, so you're a published author. Uh, in addition, you write for a whole bunch of publications. We mentioned that you're on T Nation. Um, and you got a book deal early on without a lot of experience. So would you take us through how that happened, and plus the behaviors and the work ethics that led to that opportunity and otherwise a lot of the success you've had? Yeah, so pretty early on, I was a, a big avid reader of things like T Nation um, and things like that. And, and probably even before I should have done, I started my own website, was writing on my own website. And we're talking probably 15, 16 years old at this point. And when I was about then, I managed to get published on a, on a website now, I won't mention their name, um, that are actually quite big. And I actually read over the article that I wrote, this is 16 years old. I read over the article that I wrote the other day, terrible quality of writing, uh, <laughs> but actually the, the content was actually okay. The message was okay. And I could probably agree with the message still now. 
um, it was about volume basically within workouts. So I'm writing up workout volume at, at 16 years old and reading T Nation, etc. And at 17 years old, I start training people, etc. And then go through that kind of that university process. And whilst I'm at university, obviously you learn a little bit more about critical thinking, and you're, you're you know you're still learning off of things like T Nation and I don't know bodybuilding.com or whatever. And because I was actually training people at the same time, I was able to apply a lot of that, those things and, and kind of see how things work and kind of manipulate things. Um, but I suppose I, after university, I was kind of a bit of a, a victim of, uh, I suppose, early, early success in a way. So I did a lot really young. I finished undergrad at the end of undergrad. You know, I trained quite a few people managed to uh, work with some really high profile teams, managed to get into some, some decent places um, with, for writing, um, and then was approached by um, Dorling Kindersley. I don't know whether they're a big publisher over there, but a really big publisher uh, throughout the world. And they wanted me and another person I co-authored it with uh, to write a book called The Complete Running and Marathon Book. Now, I've never run a marathon in my life. I'd never trained someone at that point to run a marathon. And yet here's me that was perceived as a sort of expert at 21 years old at this point to write the complete running and marathon book. And I suppose that was a, that was a thing of up to that point, the accumulation of, of, of being out there and putting myself out there and, and connections and, and knowing the right people. But I had no... No, I had no authority at that point to be writing that book. And to this day, I think that book sold something like 400,000 copies uh, throughout the world. It's in about five or six different languages. And no, Andrew, I see your face. I don't get paper copy. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I got paid about... to do with the math in my head? I'm like, are you going to... Yeah, no, it was... If I remember rightly, I think I got paid 3,000 pounds up front to write, write the book. And the other person got that as well. I wish it had been a, um, you know, it had been a per copy copy thing, but no, it wasn't. Um, and then from you know from from that book as well, I had the opportunity to to open and build a gym with someone um, that didn't quite work out. So I got a lot of opportunities early on, but then because of that, I ended up being very very saturated one on one. So I ended up having a lot of clients, you know, 40, 50 sessions a week sometimes, which meant I basically had a a 10 year gap or so where I couldn't do a lot of writing. I couldn't create content. I couldn't do things like that because I was literally, I hate to use the term, but in the trenches training people. And that's because of a little bit of success early on. You know, I had a few published research papers as well at the university and things. Um, so all that stuff, people, you know, people perceive me as, as, as an expert or at least locally. And, uh, and it was, uh, I was a bit of a victim of some, some minor early success. And it's only within the last year, year and a half that I've managed to just kind of get back to, uh, to finding time to actually do the stuff that I, I enjoy while still doing a little bit one-to-one. -one. Well, I have a couple of thoughts there. Like a lot of people are, are still working very, very hard on getting busy in person. And I've always been a big proponent of, you know, obviously getting the in-person experience. We've talked plenty about that. But that kind of is the holy grail what it really boils down to is being able to have a strong in-person clientele. A lot of people have this idea of going online or getting away from that. No fuck. Like a lot of trainers are still trying to get busy in person because that does a wonderful job of 
paying your bills. And it opens up a lot of room to do all these other things we've been talking about. So I think that's still probably one of the most fundamentally important things any trainer should strive to do. Even And then you can take, you know, after you've accumulated this experience, then you can take that in different directions and pursue things like, again, writing. I mean, we're both guys on T Nation now. And I was, I had done eight years worth of training. Uh, I'm at, I'm into year nine, I mean, into year 10, I've completed nine years and I'm at that same about 15,000 training hours one-on-one with clients. And all of a sudden this year is when my writing is, you know, taken off in a big way. It started to get involved in other interesting things, but I keep saying this 98, 99% of my income still comes from in-person training. I do a little bit of online. Well, that, I would say like that doesn't get lost, but like, like, Online's so attractive and like all the like writing for teenagers attractive and like blowing up your Instagram's attractive, but like that's a really hard thing to do a lot of times if you're still building your career and finding that balance is something that it's, it's skewed in both ways. Like you said, you, you worked too much because you had so much success that you couldn't do these other things, but then there's also people who don't want to work that much. They don't want to do 40 training sessions and they want to put all their time into building their content but it suck, sucks because they're not, tra- like, you know, they got to find a balance. And, and I feel like the there's combating opinions on either side, but there's like no, like, you know, we talk about like calories in, calories out, and, you know, just have a sustainable diet in moderation. That never gets talked about in this space. Like that's the non-sexy answer. And that's not the opinions that are getting tossed out. Yeah, I think, I think Andrew, how you've, how you've done things yourself, that's probably looking back how I probably would have, preferred to have done things i.e the, the the time in the trenches before i've written anything as i said I, I wrote some stuff early on got some opportunities early on i in a way specialized in doing some stuff like that early on um, which brought me some success but i think long term um it's it's kind of held me back a little bit well i also think that you're really bursting into um, a lot of people's view right now. I mean, you've got what, almost what 45,000 Instagram followers, which honestly mm-hmm. is really good. It's not the only metric of success, but I think you're gonna go up too, you the, do this stuff with integrity then and also build a following like a lot of the people that we've talked about have done. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, Instagram, I, I actually don't like Instagram. I don't like Instagram. <laughs> I don't like Facebook. Uh, I've had Instagram maybe for three years because the girlfriend basically said, you've got to get on it. You've got to try it. You've got to put your stuff on there. Facebook I've had since maybe 2000 and I don't know, 2012, something like that. So that I'm a late adopter as well. I, I had my own website and I wrote for other people before I had Facebook or Instagram. So that was kind of my, my mindset at, at that point. I think I had a LinkedIn profile before I had anything else anyway. Yeah. So I do hate social media, but it is, I think it's a necessity with what we do. And, you know, let, let's hope that Instagram and Facebook remain out there. Um, but it's also a log for yourself as well. It's a database for yourself, I think, if you use it correctly. Well, that's why like we like bringing people on like you because that's a realistic way of looking at building a career in fitness that isn't gonna like it's not that's risk adverse but like you're covering all your bases you're still making income you're st- still able to do all this stuff and work on these projects but you still have a base in training and like that's not sexy you know what i mean like 
sexy answer is like, yeah, I want to be a fucking hot online yeah. Instagram model and I want people to pay me for my templated program. But yeah. like, that's, <laughs> that's <shitty. laughs> I don't want to say it's shitty, but like, it's just like, that's not good advice. Yeah. Create a funnel on your website. And you, you're good. Just fucking have an offer. <laughs> let's uh let's pivot a bit uh, because uh well we want to get this question in so we just had dean somerset on the podcast last week and what we've been doing is been asking people about like what their personal in, like in-person pursuits are so dean loves wrestling like, he likes pro wrestling other other. yeah not you somerset does uh as an example but what are the things that you do outside of you know you're writing your coaching work uh, obviously, you have your dog, Ozzy, I'm sure that's part of it. And then how do you create a separation between uh, the urge to work on the career relentlessly and being able to prioritize downtime so you can recharge? That's probably a difficult one for me. You can, if best person to ask would actually be the, the girlfriend. But <laughs> it's re- it is really hard for me to separate kind of business from pleasure, really, because it, it's a lifestyle. And it's what I enjoy as well. So it's really, really hard. So in my in my downtime, you know, I enjoy baking. I know that sounds really random, but I enjoy cooking things and baking. I bake cakes. I know that sounds a little bit soft. Um, but then <laughs> I managed to, I managed to find a way to link that with the career uh, and, and kind of the business side of things. And I really like to like protein baking and things like that. I use protein powders and, and and things like that. And you know, if you check out tnation.com, there's a few of my recipes on there as well using their their metabolic tribe protein powder. So even a <laughs> hobby that I enjoy has actually ended up being linked with with kind of my, my career in a way. But no, every time I'm, I'm baking, it's kind of like meditation for me. I'll chuck a chuck a podcast on in the background or something, and I'll just kind of be be there with my mixing bowl with my customized spoon that says Gareth on it. You know, mixing some cake batter around, and <laughs> and, and and that's kind of me really. Um, and that's my downtime. <laughs> Like I I I I'm not gonna like stereotype shit with like women or whatever, but they're just gonna keep hearing this stuff, and and hopefully they focus on the fact that hey, there's a girlfriend in the picture because you get this yeah. guy, the accent, the dude likes to fucking bake, and women are just gonna be going <laughs> crazy for that. But uh, no, that's that's glorious, and I, I like how you've used it and tidied your social media because like that's actually quite brilliant. Uh, and if you get this this guy who's lifting, doing all this sort of shit, at the same time it's like, hey, it's cool to bake. Here's some actual cool baking recipes here's protein in it that'll dudes won't be like oh man like i'm not gonna bake they'll be like okay fuck maybe i'll try that right you probably got a great protein pancake recipe every fucking protein pancakes oh yeah i got a brilliant protein yeah check out teamnation.com there's one on there i've got some i think some protein waffles on there as well but look it's, it's not all healthy stuff either i had a um one of my best mates is a, is a um, physical therapist and it was his um it was his birthday it was a surprise birthday party a couple of weeks ago and his girlfriend asked me to bake a cake. So I'm not going to bake this protein cake that him and his mum and, I don't know, the rest of his family have. So I baked this giant chocolate Guinness cake. So it had about a pint and a half of Guinness in it. It was, you know, a whole, whole stick of butter in there. Absolutely brilliant. It was topped with like a cream cheese frosting. It looked like Guinness. I even went to like Guinness website and ordered some little mini Guinness truffles and chucked those on top. So, you know, I'm a bit of a bit of a baking nerd and uh, but you know, it was a it was a manly chocolate Guinness cake, so it's fine. It sounds <laughs> great. It's it's funny you say Guinness cake, because my wife and I we watched Below Deck and they had yeah. an Irish theme night and he made a Guinness cake and I was like, Oh my god, that right. looks so good. 
Like, I don't know what it tastes like, but the fact that there's a Guinness in it and it's a cake, like it, it must, it must have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'll tie this back into what we were talking about with online clients and engagement, or whatever. One of my online clients, she's super. Uh, I don't know if she, her name is Vashti, and she, uh, she's a musician down in California. And I, I think she might listen to me sometimes, so if she hears this, she'll be excited. But she's planning on sending me some cookies. Uh, she got a little bogged down during the Christmas season. And she's like looking up custom stuff and see if she can get through. I'm like, what are you putting in it? She's like, bourbon. You <laughs> <So>, can <laughs> send cookies in the mail, man, across the border. Well, so this is not the only time this has happened. Uh, one of the Strong View coaches who follows me, uh, Jeannie, who's really lovely. She's a sweetheart. She sent me a bunch of baking stuff for Christmas as well. And like, I think the they made uh, it. What? Oh, yeah, they made it. They were great. Yeah, I know. So totally. I, like you should. That shouldn't happen. Like you. Like they're worried about like produce coming through when you go through an airport, and you can just send it to the mail. <laughs> like fuck. Yeah, apparently, yeah. right? So anyway, I, th- I mean, I think the gesture is like incredible because I'm sure the cost of shipping it plus getting it into another country is is probably almost prohibitively not worth it. But it's the fact that someone would would make that effort. Uh, because she just loves the stuff I'm putting up on social media and she's been sharing it relentlessly with, with her people because she finds a ton of value and then she'll go do it and she'll tag me in and stuff. And you know that if you're, if you're doing that kind of thing where people are reciprocating with that kind of appreciation, you might be on to something really good. And so, you know, for anyone who's listening, if you've got that kind of client, just pay attention to what you've been doing you're not and how you can get value for that person and maybe do more of that with everybody else. That's it. See, I, how comes I'm the person that doesn't get that stuff sent to me? Maybe your online clients just like you more than they really mind like me. Mine don't ever send me anything like that. And that's maybe because they think that I might not like it or I might judge their cooking or something like that. Well, that so I think like, you've probably got the better approach. Just pretend you're a really crap cook well, I, <laughs> and, and get them to do that. I'm a, I'm a utilitarian cook, cook. I just make batches of food that I actually like it fine. Yeah. Um, one of my ideas for um, for meal prep, I had a bunch of friends over on Saturday night, and I invited Guido, but he uh, he wasn't up for it, so that's fine. We live half an hour away in the same city, actually, so it's like opposite sides of the city, and it's fucking cold. But anyway, so I barbecued steak and baked a bunch of potatoes and asparagus and stuff, and um, a couple of people couldn't make it, so I ended up with five extra steaks. I had like had fifteen of them, so I had five extra meals. So that took care of me for a few days. I just feel and sorry for you, dude. Like, you're 50 and unmarried. So that's why you get cookies. <laughs> it works. Fuck it. <laughs> that, or, that or you just trashed every trainer. That or you just trashed every online trainer who doesn't get sent cookies. Because you basically just said well, the of your success. I, I do very little online training. So I am the furthest thing from an expert in this. So... Uh, I got a feeling Gareth that his longevity with all his clients is probably probably got it on lockdown. So people should probably listen to him more than me about how to be a great online trainer. I agree. Um, okay, let's. Um, where I know we talked about this earlier, but like, where's the best place to find what you're kind of putting out there right now? Uh, probably the most at the moment on Instagram. So at the Fitness Maverick, or uh, I'm mostly doing stuff for T Nation at the moment. Uh, so tnation.com. Uh, probably got about. 45, 50, 50 articles up there at the moment. Um, and you know, one or two coming up every week. Uh, and then the fitnessmaverick.com. That's my own website. Anything that T nation doesn't accept. I just chuck on the fitnessmaverick.com. That's my approach. <laughs> <laughs> we have to put like, we have to do a top gun. 
poster for his thing. Actually, that would totally work. Yeah. Like, so, like just like, sorry. Like, I'm sure you've never heard uh, the new films Maverick, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Not that you've never heard that, but that's probably <laughs> the best way to go with this, especially because Top Gun Two is coming out, which is probably a good way to get a good article out there like, around that because you're the fitness Maverick, Top which Gun is called Top Gun. It's called Top Gun Maverick, isn't it? Yeah. I actually, I think it is yeah. called Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Or the Maverick or something, but <laughs> like Tom Cruise is actually like sixty <laughs> for one last time. He looks forty. So how old is it. he? Actually, I should look this up. He, I think like, he's sixty. But he, he, yeah, right. <sighs> fuck Tom. I can't even. I'm looking up Tom Brady now. Fuck. I just lost my train of thought. Another age, ageless wonder. You're looking up Tom Cruise's age now. Everybody's gonna need to know, so you need to look it up. I just need to look it up. Really, he's fifty-seven. He's fucking fifty-seven. He looks, he looks the same. Like he's obviously like that Scientology stuff he's been into. Like he's actually alien. Big works. <laughs> he started. He probably is the Scientologist alien shit. And like he's the next coming because like he he looks the same. I just like, can't get like, past. Active. Like he still did all his stunts for the last Mission Impossible. Like that's fucked. Because at that point he would have been like fifty-five. <laughs> for, for me, Tom Cruise, it's kind of like before jumping on Oprah's couch and after jumping on Oprah's couch. Because, like, Top Gun and all those old movies, they're sweet. I really couldn't get into his stuff after. It's kind of like Black Michael Jackson and White Michael Jackson, right? Like, all the old music's great. And, and pedophile Michael Jackson. There's and that's like the other problem with that stuff, too. Sorry, yeah. so, bad joke. Well, we did it talk is what it is. You I, brought up Epstein. It's not my... I didn't expect this. <laughs> True. Good point. That's not a funny joke. It was just like that's like they're bad people. So fuck man, fuck. <laughs> I'm glad you needed to make that explicit. Yeah, Eric, thanks, thanks for coming on, buddy. This was a bit of blast. It's it's been good to you know kind of connect uh, more than just kind of you know some messages across uh, Instagram. And uh, I again, and I feel like I do say this so so often, but when we bring people onto this podcast, we're not going all right. Well, we need an emergency guest. Fuck it, let's just settle for the bottom of the barrel. It's like. Let's get someone on who, A, we want to talk to, but we believe is doing some really awesome stuff. And so that way our audience and listeners, we're trying to throw great people in front of you if you're not yet familiar with them. And and Gareth's doing some really cool stuff. So I really hope you guys will check out what he's doing. Go follow his Instagram because that's where he's pumping up most of the stuff. And yeah, I'm not going to complain if you guys are reading T-Nation because, well, I'm on there too. And I'm not quite as prolific because I don't feel like I have the time to write as much, but uh you know, it's something that I value a lot. And like you said, just growing up reading it for a long time, I've been reading it for shit, at least a decade. And then it, it feels like a pretty cool honor to be able to be on there with a lot of people who I consider to be my mentors and influences as I've gone through my fitness career. So, you know, it, it says something when you're on there, I think. Definitely. Pleasure, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much. Shut up and sit down.